Support for this podcast comes from TransPerfect, a family of companies providing language services and technology solutions for global businesses. Connect your brand to the world and visit TransPerfect.com. From TransPerfect and A to Z Productions, this is Next. And I'm Zelina Khan, your host. Hey everyone, we decided to switch things up this season. In the past, our episodes have been based around different industries and businesses, featuring some really intelligent subject matter experts. But this time around, we're gonna focus on people, specifically some of the amazing female leaders that we know, that we think should be shared with you all. I hope you enjoy. We're really lucky to have our next guest joining us, Victoria Yasinitskaya, Chief Marketing Officer of FinTech company PagoFX. Her experience with leading international marketing teams in both B2B and B2C companies is impressive to say the least. But her work outside of the office speaks volumes for me. She's an author and active speaker about women in fintech, working on setting the precedent for female inclusion in financial services. Victoria is also a marketing professor at some of the leading universities and business schools in Europe. And she speaks six languages. Yeah, six languages. Victoria, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about Pago FX and your role there? So Pago FX is an international money transfer solution backed by Santander. And my role is the CMO. And it's an app that we are launching very soon in the UK. And throughout 2020, uh, we will be launching other key European markets. And eventually our ambition is to be all over the world. Your extensive experience in the banking industry and the fintech world is just so impressive. I, I Googled you a lot. But what really draws me to you is your passion to diversity and that you focus it on finance. You know, um, finance has been known to be a very male-dominated area of business. For women just trying to break into that industry, it's been really challenging, correct? Yes, indeed. So why the interest in finance and why did you get into the financial industry? So actually, I studied at university. My degree is in banking and finance. For for me, it was a logical way. (laughs) But I've always worked in the marketing side of finance. Mm -hmm. So I never worked as an investment banker or being like a retail banker directly. I always worked uh, in consultancies or market companies that helped banks to become more customer-centric or more innovative, et cetera. And then in the last six, seven years, I've been uh, in the fintech industry specifically, and this is uh, what PagoFX is. It's a fintech company, financial technology. So again, it's not banking, but it's, let's say, the new breed of banking. Is there a reason you went to fintech specifically? The main purpose and the main mission of fintech companies is to be much more customer-centric, and that means providing a financial service that uh, really meets their needs and does it in a very transparent and efficient way, something that banks have been um, lacking, and that for me is very appealing and what is nice also is that fintech companies are still startups. You know, they're, they're very young. Um, and that means that when you enter a young organization, there's a lot of opportunity to impact. And currently at Pago FX, having a leadership mm-hmm. role 
Um, I'm really enjoying and embracing the challenge of creating something from scratch, deciding on the strategy, deciding on the go-to-market plans, creating a team from scratch. And that gives me a lot of joy and satisfaction. There's a lot of beauty in making something out of nothing. I definitely agree with that. So what was that moment like, that moment where you identified or started noticing these gaps within the industry? I guess I guess your aha moment. Yeah, it was like an aha moment for me. So at my previous job, I was at Strands. It's a B2B fintech company that develops digital banking solutions. So I was marketing director there, and part of my role was to attend conferences, to meet clients, and to sell our products. Mm. And you know what? I would always be the minority in those conferences, mm-hmm. like maybe you know, five women out of 100 men. Again, our clients were mainly banks, and I also saw that from the client side, there are very little women that we interact with. And one of the first articles that I wrote is titled The Great Contradiction About FinTech. Mm-hmm. Basically, what I argued in, in that article is that even though fintech companies are striving to be more inclusive, are striving to be more customer-centric. And if that is the case, when you look at the statistics, who are the users of the fintech products or financial products overall, it shows that you know it's equal. It's men and women. It's not just men who need to you know manage their money. Women also manage their money and in some cases more. And mm-hmm. if you look at statistics of household finance management, it's like more than 80%. Women are the ones that are in control, you know, deciding what to buy for the household, deciding mm-hmm. on the shopping list for the supermarket, deciding on the school expenses, etc. You know, it's, it's mainly. I am part of that. I am part of that percentage. <laughs> my mom, my mom definitely balanced the book, balanced the checkbook, made the decisions. Yeah, because, I mean, historically, <laughs> you know, the society has kind of put us in that bucket list. The ladies are the mm-hmm. ones who are taking care of it, mm-hmm. and then the guys are doing other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when that is the case, and then you look at the fintech companies and you see that again, 80 90% of the people working there are men, and that happens because you're combining financial profiles with tech profiles, and both are male dominated. And entrepreneurial profiles, again, very male dominated. And you end up, you know, with a very small percentage of women being involved. So there's only 7% of women that are in the leadership positions at a a fintech industry. So for me, that's a contradiction. So if you want to create something inclusive, you know, well thought from beginning till the end, you just physically cannot do it if all the decision makers or most of the decision makers are men. So you're obviously gonna, you know, not take into consideration what the pain points are from the female side of, you know, the consumer. So this is when I realized that there was a big issue <laughs> in tech industry. It's also that the more I researched, the more I found out, you know, that it's it's the case for many organizations and banking. It's an interesting case because if you start looking at the numbers of how many women do work at banks, you know, it's not that bad. But because there are a lot of women at the lower level of of the hierarchy, however, further up you go, less women you see. Congratulations again on your book, Alpha and Omegas, which 
is essentially a guide on how to achieve a more diverse organization and to develop more inclusive leadership. But what I love about this book is that it's so practical. It's based on your conversations with people in different countries, which is amazing because I think sometimes we think we're alone and, you know, just on an island. So the fact that you had conversations with people around the world is so valuable. But for someone more junior or newer to a company that wants to do more than just complain about the gaps they've identified and want to increase diversity, what are some practical tips you can give them so they can get senior management buy-in? Alphas and Omegas was an amazing project, both for myself and my co-author, Marcel mm-hmm. Bray. Um, it did let us, A, talk to the people. So we interviewed more than 90 people from all over the world. And we did also a quantitative study like with a sample of more than 600 people participating, both women and men. That led us, you know, dive deep and understand (laughs) the reasons of why and then think of how can we recommend uh, the way out of uh, the current situation. So to your question, it all starts with awareness. What we may see or take for granted doesn't necessarily mean that the others see it in the same way. So when you ask women if their environment is diverse, if there is an unconscious bias, if they're treated equally, you know, many would say, well, you know, there is an issue. And then when you ask the same question to a guy who works in the same organization is actually sitting next to this girl, you know, so has the same experience and he would see things totally differently. And it's funny because it's just happened, Mm -hmm. had an interesting conversation with some people from my team you know we have different perspectives so i think it all starts with having a conversation and bringing some of the topics out there some topics may be uncomfortable sorry um, but yeah but, but it's necessary you know and this is when the harmony takes place because both for guys to realize what it's like to be a girl you know in a very male-dominated society but then also for, for ladies to realize a little bit the frustration from guys. So right now, because diversity has become such a hot topic, you know, there are all sorts of networks. There's a lot of going on on TV, on social media. So, I mean, now the guys are in a bit of this awkward situation going, you know what, I've had enough. But they're just as important, you know? I mean, I think I think it's important for women to support women, but I think it's important for women to have men as allies, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And and that's what the purpose of this book is. It's not just for women, it's for women and men mm-hmm. and um, encouraging to collaborate because women with, with our feminist movements and, you know, our willingness to change things, we will not be able to do anything if we just do it by ourselves. And that's, that's very evident. Uh, however, I feel like right now in some, with some actions, we are probably going to the opposite extremes. And it's something that my husband says a lot, and I like that metaphor, you know, like to find a balance, you probably need to go from one extreme to another, mm. and then, you know, eventually meet in the middle. You got to test the waters out. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot of pushback right now on the quotas, people saying it's not fair. Why would you hire somebody if it's just a lady? I mean, of course, you need to hire the best person for the position. Mm. However... You know, if in a large organization, it's still not sinking that you need to create a diverse team and there is still a big unconscious bias and some decision makers are like, yeah, yeah, diversity, whatever, and then go off and do what they did previously, then you kind of, in a way, need to reinforce, you know, certain policies and 
you know, oblige even, you know, some people just to open their mind and uh, try out the diversity, something that they probably don't believe yet. But that's mm-hmm. what I mean, you know, like t- taking it, taking maybe some extreme measures that are necessary, but then as soon as the organization mm-hmm. is already up and running, you know, you see that it's in the right path. The leaders are very aware of the benefits and all the different unconscious biases that may exist. You know, then you don't need to have any quotas or mm-hmm. any kind of obligation in place. Unconscious bias, we all have them. I think the term sometimes gets a bad rep, but it's a reality. And the fact that more companies acknowledge and work to break them down is such a right step for culture and morale. Jumping back to your book, you discuss masculine and feminine and how the balance between the two generates increased well-being for employees and profitability for businesses. Can you elaborate on that for a bit? I think we often see it either go to one of the other extremes, but I find it's more common that senior management doesn't really recognize the value of this stuff if it doesn't affect their bottom line. How are we convincing them? That's a good question. Yeah, so traditionally, as a society, we have assigned certain qualities as feminine. And for example, it would be empathy, collaboration, sensitivity, detail-focused. And then what, uh, you don't know a man that has all those qualities. You don't know a man who can be sensitive, who can be detail-focused. Of course we do. Therefore, we decided not to call them feminine. In the book, we're calling them omega qualities. And then on the other side, you have masculine qualities, traditionally assigned more to men. And there we would put in that bucket things like uh, assertiveness, confidence, straightforward, etc. Again, we all know women who have all these qualities and, and more. So we've decided to call them alpha qualities. So uh, in the book, we are talking about the balance between alpha and omega without having gender in the equation. So no matter if you're a man or woman, you are not supposed to be because the society tells you you should be or your family tells you you should be in a certain way you are the way you are you're born and then you devote you evolve as a human based on the experiences based on the people around you and then you become more let's say of an alpha personality more of an omega or you learn with time to be the balance so what happens because of the stereotypes that we already have so we would expect a woman to be, you know, a bit more humble, a bit more not so upfront in her behavior, not so direct, because that's what society kind of, you know, has educated us. That what, and then when you do see a woman who's very, very direct, very assertive, and then we start to criticize this type of behavior because, you know, in our mind, there's a bit of conflict. The same happens for men. So we would expect a man, you know, A, to be the breadwinner, you know, to be very confident, to not show any sentiment whenever he's hurt. And if he does it, he's a softy. Again, you know, uh, we, we, we are kind of putting a man in a cage, making them meet the expectations that we have set up for them. And whenever we see a man, you know, who's being a bit more empathetic and he's not driving all the decisions and is, you know, being a bit more collaborative, then some people might criticize that behavior. Oh, yeah. Um, and then especially true for leaders. So we, we've had some interesting interviews for the book. You know, we would interview a man who has a very senior position with lots of responsibilities. And then this person would say, you know what? I would love 
to be, we call it MOBA, so moderate omega, moderate alpha, somebody mm. in the middle. However, he's like, I, I'm not allowed to. I'm afraid that as soon as I do show empathy, as soon as I do show that I'm sensitive, um, you know, I'll be criticized and I might even lose my job. So that's, that's an interesting situation because that means that he's not being authentic in his workplace and he needs to put a mask and, you know, eventually create internal tension <laughs> that for sure affects his well-being, you know, and even his, his productivity. Yeah, it's like he's imprisoned by, his, by what society expects from him, you know? Yeah, 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 again. And, and the same with women. So with women, you know, it's also an interesting one because historically if you wanted to have a leadership position, you thought that you would need to act as a man, you know? So in the book, we, we, we talk a lot about this, that women have kind of, you know, shoved aside their femininity and even would like dress in a much more masculine way, like, you know, suits, even sometimes like, you know, ties. If you observe some women leaders, they would even have a more kind of a deeper voice. Mm -hmm. You know, if you speak with a very high voice, you would be considered as somebody who's not confident enough. So, you know, he would even like do training to uh, speak with more confidence and have a deeper voice. And even in your gestures, you know, the way you move, the way you stand, uh, you know, that man that yeah. women became more masculine and were losing your authentic feminine side. And again, putting a mask and losing authenticity. Everything you said resonated with me so much. I feel like right before I, I got my MBA, you know, I remember going into class and feeling like I had to dress a certain way, feeling like I had to look a certain way. And, you know, it takes time to develop the confidence to come into your own. And luckily at TransPerfect, I was still able to be in the business that I was and work on the projects that I worked on. And I slowly, you know, I came to realize that my company was a safe space for me to be who I wanted to be, you know, and, and let more of my personality out. And, you know, there are things about me that doesn't scream business. Like I like, I like nail polish, you know, and I like, mm -hmm. I like shiny things. And you're thought to think that no one will take you seriously if you do these things. Yeah, and doesn't make you a worse professional, right? Mm -hmm. like you're still a great professional, and mm -hmm. then the fact that you have your own, you know, interests, your own style, should make you better or worse. Yeah, and you know, sometimes it's a great conversation starter. You know, hey, I like your nails. Yeah, actually, I'm wearing very weird nail polish. I did my nails yesterday, and they look kind of gray. So I was like, ooh, that looks weird. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> see oh it's my thing it is it is my thing yeah it, it reminds me uh, i interviewed a friend of mine for the book and uh, he's a very she's a very dear friend of mine and she's very successful uh, in the pharmaceutical industry and she tells me that she's got this work relationship with the lady who's also senior lots of experience it's just i love the way we can have a conversation and we can swiftly move from talking about business a million dollar kind of deal and then talk about fashion about books about you know like i love your shoes where do you get them from and that's like a swift you know it's going from one conversation to another and sometimes man would be like eh. exactly exactly one one other thing i wanted to mention that we researched in the book which i think is very relevant for this conversation so the question of diversity as soon as you say it people think about gender 
But of course, it's not just gender, right? Diversity could be background, race, sexual orientation, etc. So in the book, we interviewed a person who works at State Street. It's a great financial institution and they've made diversity one you know, of the key pillars of, of their culture. And they do it very authentically. So he is representative of the LGBT group. He shared some great insights of what happens for gay people. So if you are gay and you don't feel comfortable of coming out at your workplace, or you feel like you'll be criticized, the statistic shows that the tension that it creates internally actually reduces your productivity because you have to lie about your life. So if somebody asks you, so what do you do during the weekend? So you kind of have, instead of saying, I, you know, I was with my girlfriend or boyfriend, you need to come up with a false story. Mm -hmm. And when people find the ease and the comfort of, you know, being authentic and then saying truly who they are, that really also impacts uh, how they work and how they build relationships with the rest of the people. So I think it's a very important factor. And and, and with my team, I'm, I'm very proud that I have a super diverse team. I have people from different uh, sexual orientations, generations, age groups, uh, backgrounds, nationalities. And for me, it's very important whenever I'm, I'm hiring and I'm building this puzzle, you know, so in a way, I would like the team to be diverse enough. Mm-hmm. So there are different perspectives in our decision making, but at the same time, you know, looking for something that unites us, such as, you know, the willingness to embrace the challenge, uh, the willingness to create something great for our customers, etc. You brought up something that I think could be really helpful to other senior leaders that may listen to this. What's your strategy for hiring a, a more diverse team? So it's something that we work seriously as, as leaders and we've been doing like monthly workshops because we are still a very young leadership team, a very young company mm-hmm. as well, because I'm so passionate about the subject and I understand that it's crucial, especially at this very early stage of creating an organization. We've taken it, you know, like a serious approach. It's not just acting on intuition or some guidelines that the group, for example, may provide. So diversity is one of the core um, values. So we have five values that we have defined as, as the most descriptive and authentic values that represent who we are and diversity being one of them and not because it's something trendy or cool but because we realize the value and the impact that it can generate by having a collective intelligence of very diverse group of people as leaders we are very conscious in the recruitment process so the recruitment process normally it's there are at least like three four people who are in the in the committee who decide if a person should be hired or not. This is something that we debate on quite a lot. It's not an easy one because you you prefer a profile that you think would bring a lot and kind of blend in well with the existing team. And sometimes it's a bit more risky to bring somebody who's, you know, a totally different character. And then the risk would be, would this person blend in or not? <laughs> you know, it's it's a question of, Always having it on top of your agenda, not ignoring the unconscious bias. We all have it, as you say, both women and men. We all get along with people who are like us. Mm-hmm. I think also it's important to communicate to the HR teams, and it's something that we are doing is, okay, we're looking for this profile, but make sure that the candidates that you do select 
that there is a diverse pool. It's so important for diversity to not be an afterthought, but to be a part of the initial strategy, I think. And that goes with hiring, marketing, business development, operations, the list goes on. So I came across an article you wrote last year about female role models that are like leading innovation in banking. And you discussed diversity as a vital ingredient to true innovation. And I couldn't agree more with this. I think, you know, companies sometimes, like you mentioned, like you're very passionate about it. And I think Pago FX is very lucky to have you, right? But I feel like other companies, they're looking to check it off like a box as opposed to celebrating diversity. They're just looking to just get it done. So for women that are looking to just get into an industry like this, what are some tips you have for them to get into financial services, to get into fintech? How, do, how can they penetrate a market like that? What I want to say is that there's already a lot of work done just to bring the awareness or just at least to empower women to create that confidence, to find support from their peers and slowly but surely create change. And that change can either come from top to bottom or from bottom to top. And we mentioned this in the book. So some organization may have a leader like me who's very passionate about it and who's very driven, you know, take it as part of the mission and is making sure that the rest of the leaders are on board and is implementing some policies, etc. In other organizations, as you have mentioned, that may not be the case. What I would say is that the ladies who are not yet at the level of, you know, bringing that influence, bringing that impact, at least unite together. Yes, combine forces. Yeah, exactly. Unite forces, you know, go as a group to your managers, bring it up, say how important it is, and don't give up. I try to think about uh, Victoria early in her career. What is one tip that you would give yourself about, like, you were going to your first job interview, or maybe just like your first day at, at one of the companies you worked at? What is a tip that you would give yourself, the younger you? Yeah, I think it would be more about the confidence. Don't mm -hmm. doubt yourself so much. It's something that I also write in the introduction of the book mm -hmm. is that whenever I saw that I would think or act very differently to what the rest of the people around me would, I would first blame it on myself. Like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, probably not experienced enough or mm -hmm. I don't know enough or yeah. I'm not fitting in well in this culture. And that creates a lot of internal tension. And then, you know, you sometimes don't say what you want to say or yeah. you let things happen that you're not happy with. My biggest advice to people who are in that situation, both men and women, is don't self-doubt yourself so much. Feel much more confident to be authentic because I think that's what people really value. So when I'm interviewing somebody and I see somebody who's very confident uh, in, in their, with their ideas, with what they want to do, have a very clear kind of, you know, personality, even though it's different, you know. Yeah. But um, just to summarize, my answer to this point is be confident, be authentic. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is real. It's something, you know, I, I struggle with even to this day. It would be remiss of me not to bring up that you speak six, six languages and... <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I just, I don't know where, I don't know mm -hmm. how, how, it's absolutely amazing. How, how is this possible that you speak six languages? I think it's because of my curiosity uh, to travel, to meet people, mm -hmm. to learn about cultures through learning the language. So mm -hmm. 
it started off when I was like 10 first. So I speak Russian Ukrainian as my mother tongue. And mm -hmm. then at 10, I started learning English. At 12, uh, my parents sent me to the UK to a boarding school where I lived and studied for four years. This is where I became fluent in English. I think at the age of 16, I started learning Spanish. First, actually in the UK, because it was part of my GCSEs. Because I didn't learn much because my teacher was British. So <laughs> I was like, oh. For about like four years, I did intensive courses. I would come to Spain during the summer. I would live like with a Spanish family. And that was the best experience of my life because I learned not just the language, but how people think, how people act. And I really fell in love with the Spanish culture. And that's one of the reasons why, why I moved to Spain. And then while I was working at one of my uh, first jobs, we were working a lot with the Portuguese and Brazilian clients. And I would like travel once a month to Portugal and normally people who are from Spain and go to Portugal, they speak uh, mm -hmm. Portuñol, the mix. And I thought, well, you know what? I want to speak proper Portuguese. So then I signed up to a course and I think they did like three, four years of Portuguese training. And now whenever I meet somebody, you know, I, I really like to uh, yeah. speak in Portuguese. I find it a really fun language. And then the last language that I learned was French. For me, it was the most difficult one. I did spend a few years. I also did go to France, you know, to live with the family and do an intensive course. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, it didn't sink in as well. And I think that's because of the age, because all the other, other languages I learned when I was much younger. And I guess my processing power strong enough, you know. Oh, no, you have, you have processing like... power. <laughs> <laughs> you, you... <laughs> I need to work on my own processing power. I... You make me want to go buy like Rosetta Stone or buy one of those apps because before we let you go, we're just so in awe of you. Can you just please let the listeners know if they want to check out the book, if they want to learn more about you, learn more about Pago FX, learn more about Alpha and Omegas, where can they go? Sure. So to learn a little bit more about the book and get the links where you can buy it, it's Alpha's and omegasbook.com and then you would see the links to Amazon. The book is, by the way, both in English and in Spanish, uh, something that we did mention previously. So you can buy it in either of the two languages. Then about PagoFX, um, the website, pagofx.com. If you're listening to this podcast and you're resident in the UK, Hopefully, by the time this comes out, you can actually go to the App Store or Google Play and, and download the app and check it out. Very soon, uh, those that are in Europe can do the same from your country. Uh, in the US, we are planning for next year. So we'll definitely uh, let everybody know as soon as uh, we are live in the US. And what else? Just to follow me, uh, maybe on LinkedIn. I uh, publish articles, share some uh, interesting posts or insights that I come across. So that would be it. We really appreciate you taking time to speak to us and let us pick your brain. Um, I think this is super beneficial to employees and leaders alike to have someone at your level who I'm sure has so many things to think about. Um, you know, still take time to think about things like this. So really, thank you. Really appreciate it. I really enjoyed the conversation. Happy to share thoughts and ideas. Whenever I have a chance to do that, I'm very grateful. 
Promoting diversity in the workplace is more than just an abstract feel-good workshop your company sponsors once a year. Diversity as a cultural movement is one of the best ways to build a business that has flexibility, creativity, innovation, and insight to prosper in our ever-changing times. More importantly, it cultivates a safe space for all. I encourage you to evaluate what your company is doing to promote diversity, and maybe even take a look and see how you may or may not be embracing it, and then decide what you're gonna do about it. If you made it to the end of this episode, thank you. Make sure you hit the like button before you close us out. And subscribe wherever you get your podcast to listen to the latest episodes of Next. And if you have a question, comment, or suggestion, or you just want to tell us how much you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at nextpodcast at transperfect.com or visit us at nextpodcast.transperfect.com.